السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين We invite all of you to our next session of the refinement of the soul at times of crisis and inshallah we will start with the tilawat of the Quran from uh, Brother Zubair inshallah أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أولئك الذين اشتروا الظلالة بالهدى فما ربحت تجارتهم وما كانوا مهتدين مثلهم كمثل الذي استوقد نارا فَلَمَّا أَضَاءَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ وَتَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتٍ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ سُمٌّ بُكْمٌ عُمْيٌ فَهُمْ لَا يَرْجِعُونَ أو كصيب من السماء فيه ذمات ورعذ وبرق يجعلون أصابعهم في آذانهم من السواعق حذر الموت والله محيط بالكافرين يكاد البرق يخطف أبصارهم كلما أضاء لهم مشوا فيه وإذا أظلم عليهم قاموا ولو شاء الله لذهب بسمعهم وأبصارهم إن الله على كل شيء قدير صدق الله جزاكم الله خير Brother Zubair for that beautiful recitation As I've mentioned before also What we need to understand is that Reciting of the Qur'an is not restricted and limited to a few or only those who are in madaris, those who are imams, those who are in maktabs. But recitation of the Qur'an is for all Muslims. So we should all make an endeavor to uh, give time to learn how to recite. And those who do know how to recite, you should recite, make a daily habit of recitation. And have, you know, make an effort to understand some of the meanings Especially the general public, we all have time. We give so many years to studying different different topics, different subjects. So why can't we give a few days or a few weeks to learn the last ten surahs, which we're reciting every single day anyway? <coughs> anyway, today uh, what was recited, he started off with the seventeenth ayat, "Mathalhum kamathal and it. Speaks about the example of the believers and disbelievers. He gives the example of those who the, their example is the one is like the one who kindled fire. But when it illuminated what was around him, Allah Taala took away their light. So if you could just give me the Quran, this is referring to the kuffar, the munafiqin or the uh, hypocrites. The last ayat is referring to the hypocrites. So he's starting off with the example of their example is the one. It's like they ignited fire and when illuminated what was around the person, then Allah Ta'ala took that nur away. He took that light away and left him in darkness so they couldn't see. So they were left summun bukmun umyun in deaf, dumb and blind. Summun would be deaf, dumb and blind. فهم لا يرجعون They would not return. They would not return to the light. أو كصيب in the next ayat or their example also Allah Ta'ala draws like a rainstorm from the sky. Which has darkness, thunder, and lightning. And 
They put their fingers in their ears Out of the thunderclaps That they, you know, they hear Fearing that, you know, death may occur Allah Ta'ala encompasses the disbelievers So Lightning snatches away their eyesight And every time a flash gives them light They walk by it And when darkness falls upon them They stand still If Allah willed He would have certainly taken away their hearing and their eyes Verily Allah is powerful uh, And He can do all things So here Allah Ta'ala talks about the How uh, the munafiqin, the hypocrites The hypocrites They... Their example is like a person who is given guidance. He's given guidance and he doesn't take the guidance. He strays away from it. Then he becomes more lost. Right? So Allah Ta'ala, He renders them deaf, dumb and blind in the sense that Hidayat is right in front of them. But they don't take it. They don't see it. And it's unfortunate to say that today many Muslims are in the same condition. They have hidayat in front of them. Quran is in front of them. The sunnah of Nabi Sallallahu is in front of them. <coughs> Guidance of what to do, their life is right in front of them. But they don't see it. They look for others. They look for, they look for guidance in other things. They look for guidance in other lifestyles. They look for guidance in other avenues. Just put this outside. Put this right there. You understand? So because they do that, they, they're led astray in this life as well as in the hereafter as well. So Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand this inshaAllah. <coughs> like this we should also, uh, if possible, have some ta'aleem every day at home for those who are able. Inshallah, we will start the next chapter. Yesterday, we discussed. Firstly, <coughs> we started the introduction of the book. And the first chapter, we recited a hadith in regards to the reward for illness and hardships. Right? So if a person is sick or if a person is going through a situation, then they should take it as a means of mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reality is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the believers, renders it, a, renders it a mercy. Because whatever situation he's in, it's good for him. If he's sick, then it's a means of atonement for his sins. And if it's good, it's affluence, right? Then obviously it's good, right? So either way, the situation is good for him, positive. So therefore, when a person is in some type of sickness, grief, hardship, and they are patient, right? They firstly they have true belief in whatever in the fact that whatever Allah has in store for them, whatever Allah Taala has, uh, you know, rada bil qada. Remember, we did that yesterday. That that He is pleased with whatever Allah has decreed for him. So the proper faith. Secondly, he has yaqeen or he has a firm conviction in that uh, in the fact that Allah Ta'ala will reward him for this difficulty. Right? So this is the same as the hadith I mentioned, iman and ihtisaban. A person who has iman, proper faith, ihtisaban, he has full conviction that Allah Ta'ala will reward him for his uh, difficulty. And thirdly, sabr, patience. That he is patient in whatever Allah Ta'ala throws at him, whatever whatever he is going through, then Allah Ta'ala gives him immense reward, immense reward. That was the first chapter. The second chapter, and we recited some ahadith, very beautiful ahadith in, in that regard. The second chapter the authors given us is virtues of the plague. <coughs> virtues of the plague. Now we know what's happening. 
today is not a plague, but it's something similar. So you can obviously extract from that the very same virtues that Allah gives for those involved in the plague will be the same, right, as mentioned in these ahadith. So the, whatever happens today, if a person, you know, ends up sick or whatever happens, then he'll receive the same rewards, inshallah. First, he brings a hadith of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. An Anasin radiallahu ta'ala anhu qal qal Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at-ta'unu shahadatu kulli muslim. Muttafaqun alayhi. Anas radiallahu anhu narrates, and this is in both Bukhari and Muslim, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, The plague is a means of martyrdom for every Muslim. In other words, a person is a shaheed. If a person dies because of the plague, that person is considered shaheed. He receives the rank of a shaheed. And we know in numerous ahadith is mentioned the shuhada, a person who is shaheed in the path of Allah, he goes straight to where? Straight to Jannah, subhanAllah. Meaning all, our, all his sins are forgiven. So it's, you know, a very, very high rank of a person to, to die in a state of, uh, of shahada, right? Of martyrdom. <clears throat> the next hadith is similar. In the next hadith, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam enumerates the different categories of people that are shaheed. And Abi Hurairah ta'ala anhu qal, qal Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, ash-shuhada'u khamsa. المطعون والمبطون والغريق وصاحب الهدم والشهيد في سبيل الله متفقنا عليه أبو رضي الله تعالى عنه نارت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says that shuhada are five categories there are five categories of shuhada now I want to tell you this before you get confused it's not restricted to these five there are many more but at this juncture Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم enumerated these five number one مطعون from the, from the word ta'un, right? In other words, the one who is afflicted, uh, who is afflicted by the plague. Ta, the word for plague in Arabic is ta'un. Ta'un, with the ta. So mat'un is the one who has been afflicted by the plague. Wal mabtun, from the word batun. Batun means stomach. The one who ends up passing away because of some stomach sickness. Whatever stomach sickness it may be, whether you have today people who have cancer, stomach cancer, or uh, intense diarrhea, or whatever it may be. A person who dies because of that sickness, Allah grants him the reward of a shaheed. Walgariq, a person who drowns. A person who attains death by drowning is also considered a shaheed. Sahibul hadam. Hadam means when, a, when something falls or breaks. And here, the ulama of hadith mentioned it refers to a person who died because of a building falling on him. A building falling on him. <coughs> Finally, shaheed fi sabilillah, a person who dies in the battlefield. A person who dies in the battlefield or in the path of Allah, whilst in the path of Allah. This can refer to, and ultimately it did refer to in those times, those who were in the battlefield. But it can also refer to anyone because the ulama mentioned that fi sabilillah means anything that you're doing, any effort that you're in, wherein your objective is to raise the flag of deen, the flag of Islam. Your objective is to uphold the deen, to preserve the deen. So any such path, be you a student in the search of knowledge of deen, or you're conveying the deen to the masses by means of tabligh or ta'aleem, or the fact that some of you have come here and You've come here solely for the sake of deen, nothing else. No other reason, solely for the sake of deen. So you are in the path of Allah as of right now. May Allah ta'ala accept our city. The next hadith. An Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha qalat, Sa'altu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam anil ta'un. Aisha radiallahu anha narrates, I asked Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about the uh, plague. فأخبرني أنه عذاب يبعثه الله تعالى على من يشاء وأن الله جعله رحمة للمؤمنين ليس من أحد يقع الطاعون فيمكث في بلده صابرا محتسبا يعلم أنه لا يصيبه إلا ما كتب الله له إلا كان له مثل أجر شهيد very beautiful حديث رواه البخاري in the حديث in the in the 
narration of Bukhari عنها, mentions that I asked Nabi about the plague and he said it's a type of punishment for some people which Allah Ta'ala sends on whom he wishes alright and the one who remains with patience in his plague in his area of plague with the hope of gaining reward and knowing that only Allah Ta'ala had decreed for him what will happen he will receive the reward of a shaheed so here the past two ahadith are explained again going back Nabi Sallallahu said this is a punishment upon certain individuals and who's, who are those certain individuals he explains it afterwards or the next explanation shows that it's it's a punishment for the general public except for those who have these certain qualities, these certain attributes or conditions. Number one, or, or, or rather he says it in the next part of the hadith, he explains for whom it isn't. جَعَلَهُ رَحْمَةً لِلْمُؤْمِنِ Allah made it a mercy for the believers. How? Whenever a person, لَيْسَ مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَقَطَّعُونَ فَيَمْكُثُ فِي بَلَدِينَ Whenever a person is afflicted with the plague, and he remains there in that you know grief stricken area. Sabiran, this is the word. You see, Sabiran. This is what I told you earlier. So many times you get one hadith explains the next hadith. So the first hadith just mentioned he's a shaheed. How is he a shaheed? Or how is he gonna get the reward? With these conditions. Patient. He's patient. He doesn't complain or he isn't restless, right? Grieving and worried. Next word, muhtasiban. Muhtasiban ihtisab means to hope for reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? He hopes for reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, his aqeedah is right. How? Ya'lamu he knows annahu la yusibuhu illa ma kataballahu lah. That nothing will afflict him except whatever Allah has written for him. In other words, his aqeedah in taqdeer. His aqidah in Allah that whatever Allah destined for me, that's what's going to happen. If I get sick, that's what was going to happen. If I don't get sick, that's what was going to happen. It was, it was already written for me. So that is the true aqidah of a believer. We know the Quran says this death is already determined for each and every single individual. It's, it's, it's already written. There's nothing new. If you ended up dying in a plague, it's not because the plague killed you. It's because you were going to die at that time anyway. It's not that the virus killed you. It was written many hundreds of thousands of years ago. This is the day you were going to die. Plague was just a means. And this is the true aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah al-Jama'ah. You have other groups who mention that, you know, a certain person, when a certain person kills you, that it was because the person killed you, your life was uh, decreased. Or, you know, it could have been extended. So the person is actual fault of killing you. In reality is Allah Ta'ala had willed for your death to be at that time. Yes, he may have used a certain means. Now in this worldly structure in life that we have, in the judicial court system that we have, you, of course you're going to put that person to blame because he was the means and he chose to do wrong. But it didn't mean that that person ultimately was the cause. Ultimately it was Allah Ta'ala, but he used that person as a means. So our aqidah has to be Allah does everything. But Allah uses means. And those means a person chooses... And, and Allah Ta'ala used that person as means, the person is blameworthy. It's a matter, it's a muscle of aqidah we're not going to go into. But anyway, the aqidah of the Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah is what Allah has already destined what, when you would die, how you would die, right, what time, date, everything. So your death has been already determined. It's only a matter of, uh, of how and when it's going to happen. How and by which means. So this is the true aqidah of a person. SubhanAllah, just to... Just a few min- uh, moments ago, I was speaking to one of the mother, uh, one of the mothers of our children, our our, our students who are studying. So the student is uh, was strangled in uh, strangled mean, means he's actually studying overseas. So his mother, his parents wanted him to come home, but he was told by his teachers also he made mashura with them, and they said, "Listen, you're a student, you came here to study. If Allah has de- death written for you, it's going to happen either way, whether you you here or there. It's not like." Malakul Maut, the angel of death, only is invited to, uh, to where you live and he's not invited here. You understand? So you can go if your parents are worried, you can go to ease, the, ease their pain and grief and give them comfort. But if you're going because you think you'd survive over there, not here, or you'd survive here, not there, whatever it may be, then that's the wrong aqidah. Fix, you should correct that. SubhanAllah, he explained to his parents, he spoke for 
some time with his parents. His parents understood this. His parents realized and they said, you can stay. So his mother was you know, grieving over the fact that you know she's, he's not here. But at the, same, at the same time, she said that he was the means of my aqidah becoming more firm. Alhamdulillah. Just moments ago, just a few minutes ago, I was speaking, speaking to his mother. May Allah Ta'ala grant them patience. May Allah Ta'ala grant them uh, reward also, inshallah. The next hadith, عن جابر رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الفار من الطاعون كالفار من الزحف والصابر فيه له أجر الشهيد رواه أحمد In Mustad Ahmad, we mentioned Mustad Ahmad is a hadith work that's written by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal Many volumes You guys can see it, there's a green, golden and red book there So thousands, thousands of a hadith So in the, unfortunately, very few of us actually fully study this work. There was one sheikh who passed away recently, one of our asatida also, Mona Yunus John Puri, rahmatullah He passed away one or two years ago, and uh, in India, in Saharanpur. So he had completely studied the entire Musnad Ahmad several times, several times. His room was full of just books stacked up, piled up all the way to the ceiling. Thousands of books We visited him several times Thousands of books Anyway so he, And he taught Bukhari for over 41 years Subhanallah So we also want to endeavor on that journey Of reading such a great book Written by such a great author uh, May Allah give us tawfiq inshallah So this hadith from Jabir radiallahu anhu That's mentioned in Muslim Ahmad It's actually a warning It's actually a warning Again, to correct our aqidah, he says that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, the person who runs away <coughs> from the plague is like the one running away from jihad. And the one who is patient whilst in that plague, he will get the reward of a shaheed. He'll get the reward of a shaheed. So, numerous ahadith have mentioned that person, a person running away from the battlefield uh, will not be forgiven for that for that sin that he's committed. It's a grave sin that you would commit. So that's why the plan of action when something like this occurs, and we don't leave our places and go somewhere else where we feel that maybe I'll live longer somewhere else, or I won't get affected or afflicted somewhere else. This is clearly also mentioned by Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in other hadith that when you are afflicted in your area and your so locality and your uh, vicinity, then don't go anywhere else. Similarly, if you hear of it afflicting a certain place, you shouldn't go there as well. Otherwise, your aqidah will become uh, tainted as well. Finally, uh, the last hadith mentioned in this chapter. An Ali min al-Kindi qal kuntu ma'a Abi Abbasan al-Ghifari ala satihin faraa qawman yatahammaluna min al-ta'oon فقال يا طاعون خذني إليك ثلاثا إلى آخر الحديث رواه ابن عبد البر والمروزي وأحمد والطبراني شرح الصدور. So Alim Kindi he narrates that I was with Abu Abu Abbas Al Ghifari on a rooftop. He saw a group of people leaving the area because of the plague and he said, O plague, take me. And he said it three times. O plague, take me. And this is because, again, he didn't mention anything more than that. And the, the, the hadith continues. And it's mentioned in uh, Muslim Ahmed also. Anyway, uh, the commentators mention, in other words, I want, I'd rather take you and I get, I'd get the reward for a person who is afflicted by it. In other words, it's not something that we should be running away from. And so, uh, again, this uh, Imam Suyuti also he's written a book again someone had sent it to me just today almost 444 pages on the he calls it, the book's name is Virtues of the Plague <laughs> Virtues of the Plague so we have to under we have to change our thought our you know our way of thinking and our train of thought as to how we should understand this again as a Muslim whatever befalls me as a Muslim then there's khair in it. If, there is, if it's difficulty, then I bear patiently, Allah will put khair in it. And if it's ease and comfort, then I'm patient to Allah Ta'ala, Allah will put khair in it. This is 
directly from the words of Rasulullah May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand that whatever falls, whatever befalls us or whatever we're afflicted with, this is this has been written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from before. And once we understand that aqidah, proper aqidah that we have, then we have, once we do have that aqidah and we bear patiently, Allah will reward us. We should have yaqeen in that reward and we should bear patiently. Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand that a person who has been afflicted with whatever sickness and illness, and they will be rewarded. And specifically today we've done that if it's the plague or something similar in a similar manner, that Allah Ta'ala will give and grant the person the status of martyrdom, inshallah. If we have any questions in regards to this uh, work or in regards to this chapter, we can ask, inshallah. So somebody asked a question. Um, how do we how do we deal with the idea of the plague being hardship for non-Muslims? Because we know that it's a reward for us. Do non-Muslims gain anything from it, or should we treat it as a punishment for them? Okay, so <clears throat> um, I'm not sure exactly the nature of the question, but if again it it it, it would be it would be the, a, a means of punishment or a means of hardship because of the fact that them if they are afflicted and they pass away, then they didn't understand the lesson of life, or they, they didn't understand the objective of life. They weren't able to return to Allah, so it it, it basically it, it was a means of them not being able to turn back to Allah Taala in the correct manner with the correct faith, right? And so they are now they're going to leave this world. They're going to meet Allah Taala with the incorrect faith. So they had their chance. They did have their chance. They did have the, the, enough lifetime to be able to turn back to Allah to understand what they're supposed to do. And uh, this can actually, you know, you can actually look at it in another way also. This is a wake up call for all of us. All of us, including the non-Muslims, that what if you what if you ended up dying in another one or two weeks? Now you were studying for your PhD, you're studying for your doctorate, you're studying for your masters or your bachelors, you're working day and night to you know, you want to buy a house, get a good job. Now all those dreams, and we mentioned this yesterday, all those dreams were aimed towards what? What was the ultimate objective? Dunya. Right, fulfillment of your desires of what you want to achieve in this world. Now you come to see right in front of you that all that goes down the drain. All of my efforts, my whole life has gone to waste now, because in two weeks I'm not I'm not going to get any of it, none of it. So whatever I've been doing the past 20, 30 years, it's completely useless. I need to take take, take a different track now, different route. I have to understand that this is not life's purpose. When I die, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So a person who believes a Muslim. Uh, who believes they know they know that okay I have to change my track change my route let me go to the imam the sheikh the, these classes let me try to understand what I have to do if I don't know already for the one who doesn't know already they'll start changing their life schedule you know how they say lifestyle you're gonna change your lifestyle you just like you change your diet completely now you change your schedule completely completely you're geared towards the akhirah for the one who is not a believer they'll they'll have to start they can't say you know I'll think about this later normally. When you're when you're kicked in the head with that, what with that sometimes you're pinched right that what are you doing everyone gets that question even the atheist that is this really why I'm here why am I here so this is the time to engage that question and not throw it in the back of back of the back of your head now ask yourself what if I die in two weeks what am I supposed to do what am I gonna do I have to start preparing I have to find out what is the truth so Allah is giving you that chance if you still didn't get it then what is it besides a punishment from Allah. So this is what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi mentioned, that this is a punishment for the people except those individuals who are now, uh, who understand, who believe, who start making amal. That's what we did today. Allah knows best. Any other questions? Yeah, there was one more question that's a bit more tangential. Uh, a brother asked, he's been getting a lot of questions about this, that we hear a hadith regarding black seed being a cure for everything except death. Um, can we interpret that or apply it to not just corona, but say other things like cancer, which... Uh, a lot of people are afflicted with nowadays, but we don't have. 
Um, black seed and honey. These are two items that, you know, they're means of health and means of cure. Um, definitely, I have belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promises in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's words that Allah ta'ala grants health by these, by these means. Similarly, there are du'as. For example, if you recite that three three times, Bismillahi shay'un fil wala fil sama in the morning and in the evening, Allah protects you from all type of sicknesses and ailments. What does accept death mean? Accept death means if death was written for you, then this is not going to save you from that. You understand? If death was written for you, then it's not going to save you from that. So that death being written from you, if a person died whilst eating these things, whilst making these du'as, this doesn't mean it didn't work. It means it was written for you. Otherwise, you will get better. Alright? Secondly, secondly, some of the wordings of the hadith, and this may be, uh, you know, this, is, this may not be the popular opinion, opinion, but it is mentioned. Secondly, when we say cure, it can also mean something else as well. When we say cure, it can mean that it becomes a means of a person's being, uh, what do you call this? A means of a person's um, kafara, or a means of a person's salvation, a means of a expiation of a person's sins. So when we say cure, it can also mean that as well. That now this, um, for, for example, the wordings of the hadith that mention that those three times you read in the morning and the evening, it means a person will be absolved, or a person will be cured, or a person uh, will not have to worry. So will not have to worry would mean, could mean that a person is, uh, by means of this sickness or disease or whatever he's afflicted with, that it's not that the du'as are not working, but the du'as are a means for his sickness, curing his sins, or expiating his sins. This can also be a possible meaning as well. Any other questions? Uh, there was a follow-up question from the first one. So a brother asked, is it, up to us to say that it was a punishment for non-Muslims or should we rather say that Allah knows best? Allah knows best. It's best to say Allah knows best. It's best to say Allah knows best. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Okay, so we'll take a small, just a small break. Let me know when to continue, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim There was a second book that we wanted to start, and we wanted to start yesterday, but because it was extended because of the introduction, we didn't. So we're going to start it today. And again, we might get just through the introduction, uh, as the introduction is a little lengthy. So this is called, originally is an Urdu book. It was called Hayatul Muslimin. Hayatul Muslimin. And it's very popular in the Indo-Pak subcontinent. And uh, and we're going to go through the introduction, you'll, you'll get an understanding of it. In English, it's called Living as a Muslim. Living as a Muslim. And this is by Hakim Al-Ummah, Mawana Ashraf Ali At-Tanwi. We're going to start on page 13, an introduction into who the author is. Hakim Al-Ummah, Mawana Ashraf Ali At-Tanwi was born in the year 1863, in the village of Thanabowan, which falls in the state of Uttar Pradesh, UP in India, located in the northern region of the Indian subcontinent. After completing his preliminary studies under the local village teachers, Hakim al-Ummah enrolled at the prestigious Darul Ulum in Deoban in order to qualify as an Islamic scholar. During his days of study, Muratanwi displayed great potential and this was acknowledged by his elders and peers. After graduating from Darul Ulum, Muratanwi began preaching or teaching in a religious seminary in Kanpur. Along with teaching, he was privileged to, to gain the spiritual guidance of one of the leading Sufi masters of his time, Haji Imdadullah Makki. 
it was under the instruction of Haji Imdadullah that Mulana Thanwi later left his teaching post at Kanpur and revived the Khanqa and Thana Bowen. One of the outstanding achievements of Hakim Al-Ummah was, was his use of the pen, whereby he authored over a thousand books in both Arabic and Urdu before his death in 1943. While being a recognized master in the sciences of Quranic exegesis, meaning tafsir, and Islamic law sharia, as evidenced by his authoritative works in those fields, Mu'annathanawi was also greatly concerned with the religious enhancement of the, pop- of the population, and thus he wrote extensively on issues pertaining to the general populace. Among these writings is the current book, Living as a Muslim. So that's the title, uh, that's the, the translation of the title, Living as a Muslim, which introduces the fundamentals of Islam in a simple yet comprehensive manner. It is pertinent to mention here that the Muslims in India at this time were under the influence of two cultures. Some were totally immersed into the practices and superstitions of the Hindu communities, while others were overawed by the new British customs. In addition to this, the majority of people in India were poorly educated and unable to read. It was in this environment and for these uneducated Muslims that Muratanwi authored uh, many books. Living as a Muslim, which can be beneficial, beneficially read individually or in a collective uh, manner, truly inculcates in the reader the eagerness to rectify their ways and to ensure that they live in accordance with the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah The book covers 25 principles, 25 principles ranging from belief in Allah and His Messenger وسلم, to social conduct and family responsibilities. Each principle is supported by numerous verses of the Quran and the hadith of Rasulullah along with guidance on, guidance on how to obtain these positive qualities in one's life. So, what's important, listen, Mawlana Tanwi actually was almost like a, you know, like a mujaddid in his era. He revived the deen in his era, in his, not only in his locality, but this went all over the world. It spread the effect of his teaching spread all over the world, without a doubt, without a doubt. Many of our youth read his students' works or his students' students' work, they don't even realize they're benefiting from him. The famous book that many of us know, Behesht or Heavenly Ornaments, is written by him as well or under his, his instruction. So, um, he's written many works and, and as, as he mentioned here, look, in his time, people were either ignorant, they didn't know the deen, or they were overawed by Western culture. In today's time, I'd like I'd almost say the same thing. People are educated, however. People are educated. But because of that same, uh, the, 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 the customs of others, we've been more influenced to look at material things more than uh, the spiritual, our, our, our spiritual lives. And we know deen is not just a spiritual aspect of our lives. It is our life. It is our life. We've forgotten that. And like some shuyukh say, we've forgotten that we've forgotten that as well. We don't even remember. We don't even, sometimes we can, because of that whole notion of church, the separation of church and state, we take, kind of take deen in the same manner. My spirituality is my own personal life. Everyone's spiritual life is their own business. But the reality is your spirit, your deen is your life. Your life is uh, governed by the deen. Every aspect of it. Be it social, be it monetary, be it um, political. right? Every aspect is governed by deen. So sometimes we don't realize we have to go back to basics. And a lot of us, for us, basics just means five times a month. Right? Five times salah. Fasting in Ramadan. Uh, you got to go for hajj once and you got to manage to eat halal which is it's a good thing it's a good thing these are basic tenets but that's that's not all that's not all it's your entire life it's your entire life is governed by the deen so that's why here in this book it's very simple it is simple but you know something simplicity is i like to say simplicity is scarce nowadays right it's it's simple but sometimes we forget that simplicity sometimes we forget the simple little things so that's why this class is not for those who, uh, are, you know, are seeking some extracurricular sciences or want to study some sciences in debt. It's not for, for those people. 
who alhamdulillah, this is, uh, and, uh, for people who have the basic deen and they're acting upon it, alhamdulillah, it's good. This is just a reminder for you. If you would listen, this is a reminder for you. But for those people who know that, or they know, one is they don't know the deen, or they know the deen, but they need to refresh the deen. They learn basic, simple things. Many of us, when we were kids in Maktab Saturday, Sunday, it was the huzur with the stick, you know, the lati. And, and it was the mother scaring you into, if you don't go, or if you don't do this, I'll call your huzur, right? The deen was just, that, that's all we have of deen. It's about going to the masjid because the, you know, the teacher is there with a stick and he's going to be a threat. So, you know, that, that, and, and the little, it was most of the time it was yelling and screaming, sit down, read, read, read. Unfortunately, many of us faced that and they, we didn't understand the true spirit of the deen or what deen tells us. The simple things of deen. Just reading Quran. Or even today, many of us are uh, restricted to the simply just, just, just reading Quran. So, or, and, and the basic uh, five times salah and fasting and that's about it. But there are many other aspects as well. So here he goes over about 25 principles. Right? 25 principles. And inshallah, if we inculcate these principles in our life, then our entire life will be upon deen. And that's what we want, entire life to be on deen. So it's not about all these intensive courses that we're taking. For those who are studying, that's a good thing. Right? That's a good thing. But did we bring our life onto practical deen? Is our life practically following the deen? So that's uh, the aim of this course that we'd like to do. Inshallah. May Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Okay, so we're going to just read the author's introduction for today and inshallah we'll continue afterwards. All praise is due to Allah who is revealed in his book. Allah Ta'ala says in Surah 6 verse 122 Is someone who was dead and whom we brought to life supplying him with a light by which to walk among people the same as someone who is in utter darkness Unable to emerge from it. Then he says, May Allah send peace and prayers be upon Rasul, whom Allah addressed by saying in the in the Quran Surah 42, verse 52. Accordingly, we have revealed to you a spirit by our command, and who Continuing, and he says, Who called his nation towards uh, the rewards? Allah Ta'ala says in Surah 8, verse 24, O you who believe, respond to Allah and to the Messenger when he calls to you, to what will bring you to life. Continuing, he says, In addition, he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, steered the nation towards a lofty and glorious height, as he, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, says, again, verse 58, uh, I'm sorry, Surah 58, verse 22, Allah has inscribed faith upon such people's hearts and will reinforce them with the spirit from him. And then in another verse he says, uh, Surah 16 verse 97, Anyone who acts rightly, male or female, being a believer, we will give him a good life, hayatan tayyibah, and we will recompense him according to, best, to the best of what they did. In another verse, Surah 20 verse 124, But if anyone turns away from my reminder, his life will be dark and narrow, and on the day of rising, we will gather him blind. Regarding the people of hell, Allah Ta'ala says in Surah 87 verse 13, In it he will neither die nor live. Then he says, Thus the life in the fire will be a life of misery, in which there will be no comfort or prosperity. Although that life will not be death, it will also not be a life worth living. In other words, from these verses, the point Allah Ta'ala is trying to make is that Allah Ta'ala, firstly, He created you, right? And He's given you two paths. The path of righteousness and the path, paths of evil or uh, the path of deviation. The one who chooses the righteousness follows the way of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He'll have a good life. Hayatan tayyibah. And the one who doesn't, he'll have a life, but it's not a life worth living. It's like death. It's not a life worth living. That's why he titled it living as a Muslim. What is life living as a Muslim? If you follow 
the, the, the rules of Sharia, the rules of deen, then you'll live a good life and in the akhirah will be a good life. Ultimately, good life in the akhirah is real life. But the one who doesn't live according to the confines of the deen, the Sharia, the sunnah, then he will have, he may have a life, but it's not a life worth living. His life in the afterlife, so that's why, look, look, you'll see a person living very rich, living lavishly, right? And he's enjoying his life. So a person has that doubt that how come I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to, but I don't have a life like that. Allah Ta'ala is trying to tell you that's not real life. Real life is in the akhirah where you'll enjoy. Sometimes Allah grants that good life to a righteous Muslim in dunya also. But sometimes He won't. And most times He won't. So when you see yourself going through hardship, then know, again, we did this before, know that this hardship will bring ease afterwards. Continuing. On the basis of numerous conclusive Quranic uh, verses, the authoritative commentators, Mufassirin, have asserted that the true spiritual life in the hereafter and this world is a privilege which belongs exclusively to the obedient servants of Allah. Despite the clarity of this issue, our Muslim brothers have become uh, completely forgetful of it and behave as if they've never heard of the basis and proofs of this claim by the Quranic commentators. This indifference is so stark that one gains the impression that this manner and its proofs never even crossed their minds. To reiterate, existence is of two kinds. The worldly life and the life of the hereafter. Regarding the hereafter, our brothers partially concede that it is exclusively for the obedient servants of Allah. But in relation to the life of this world, the thought of it being the exclusive privilege of the obedient servants of Allah is, ex uh, is exceptionally remote from their minds. Thus, throughout the world we observe severe hardship and misfortune continuously descending and crashing down upon the Muslims whilst the causes and remedy of these calam uh, calamitous uh, um, situations are not considered by anyone. He says, we see us going through hardship and difficulty, but we don't really look at the cause. We're not looking at the cause. The reality is Allah Ta'ala has you know, given this life of the Akhirah for the Muslims as well as the dunya as well. But when we don't get this life in the dunya, then we worry. But we never, we worry about, you know, how come, or we worry about uh, how to remove these difficulties, or we, we, we get, we, we grieve over these difficulties and what we're going through. But we don't actually look back at the cause of it. If you want to, remember we did this before? If you want to fix the problem, look at the cause. And we find that those who try to devise, continuing the reading, and we find that those who try to devise some remedy for the state of de degradation and attempt to salvage the situation are confronted with total failure because they fail to diagnose the disease. An erroneous disease diagnosis results in an erroneous prescription of a remedy. Hence, the disease, instead of being cured, deteriorates more and more. We try to solve the problem by what? By finding different different solutions. Try, let's try this, let's try that, let's try... You never even went to the cause. What's the cause of it? Right? A lot of times, what do we try to do? We try to solve situations by what? Monetary uh, solutions. Or by, again, material solutions. Right? Which is not wrong. It's not wrong. But you're not, you're only what? You're only patching the wound with a band-aid. You're not treating the wound itself. Or what was the cause of the wound? He continues, The natural consequence of such erroneous, misguided, and unprincipled plans and schemes Device to extricate the notion from the morass of degradation is nothing more than worsening of the disease. Sadly, it is seen that failure upon failure does not deter the misguided diagnosers who, uh, who intransigently believe in the rectitude of their prescriptions of error. The cause of this pra practical ignorance and misguidance is intellectual ignorance. I intellectual ignorance. These practitioners do not fully acknowledge the divine declarations of the Qur'an and Hadith which have precisely determined the root causes of the calamities which have overtaken the nation with such disastrous consequences. I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? Mu'natanwi and all of our ulama have mentioned that, listen, the real cause of these problems is all, they're all mentioned in the Qur'an and we've mentioned this in the last book that it's about love of dunya. When you have that desire for dunya, you'll, do, you'll follow all these rules, all these things you'll do. But the reality is, reality is the, the solutions are not in the, in the material, uh, the, they're not in the material uh, solutions. The, the solution to these problems are not in, this, in, in these material uh, 
ways that we've, you know, we come up with. But the reality is, let's go back to the main problem. And these problems are mainly in uh, regarding spiritual illnesses and, you know, spiritual sicknesses. And they've all have been mentioned in the Qur'an. In the Qur'an, over and over, they'll mention, Allah Ta'ala will say, this is the problem, and this is what you have to do. This is the solution. But instead, we're looking for materialistic options. And one of the biggest problems, because we don't go back to the Qur'an and Hadith. How many of us actually study the Qur'an and Hadith in depth and detail? There are some that do, alhamdulillah. And if you really look, to, look into the Hadith, Look into the Quranic ayat. You'll see solutions for all these problems. But we think they're just spiritual. They think we, a lot of us, we just take it as well. These are just spiritual things that, you know, may, let me make a little dhikr, pray a little salah. And, but how much of us have actually full yaqeen? You understand? He continues saying, the cause of this practical ignorance and misguided intellectual ignorance. These practitioners do not fully acknowledge the divine declarations of the Quran and Hadith, which have precisely determined the root cause of the calamities which have overtaken the nation with such disastrous consequences. Indeed, they proclaim that they have faith in the Quran and Hadith, but what is the meaning of their partial acknowledgement? Belief in Allah and His Messenger means to acknowledge them and to believe them to be truthful in every aspect, every statement and every deed. But partial acceptance of some statements and rejection of others falls within the scope of the following verse. And this verse is actually going back to the, the people of the book. But it can, again, every single verse in the Quran, whenever Allah Ta'ala addresses us in the Quran, though it seems as, as, the, as if the audience is the non-Muslim, the Christian, the Jew, the hypocrite, but the reality is every single Ayah in the Quran can be addressed to us as well. We can all take a lesson from every single ayah. Every, the Quran is universal. Every single verse is universal. So this is why uh, Allah Ta'ala says this ayah. And generally, a person will take this ayat for the non-Muslim. But the reality is, look, Mu'an is using this, uh, this ayat for us. He says in uh, Surah Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 85, Do you believe in one part of the book and disbelieve in another? This is what they used to do. Because in their book, they used to believe in some portions, act upon some portions, and not others. You get it? So Allah Ta'ala is saying, use it for yourself now. Do you take certain verses of the book and apply them and not others? Only those verses that you need. Right? Continuing, it is thus imperative that attention be drawn to the prevalence of this compo compounded ignorance and negligence so that the causes underlying the disease may be ascertained and the correct remedy prescribed. Both rational and transmitted proofs as well as observation and experience have established beyond the slightest vestige of doubt that the recognition of the cause of our afflictions in this age as well as the remedy and cure for these ills are confined to the auspicious instructions of the Messenger of Allah This is a claim which we make without the slightest fear of being un uh, undermined. SubhanAllah, look at the yaqeen, conviction. Because this is a claim that we make and we don't care what, who says, but this is the reality. Whoever believes in the perfection, listen to the word perfection, of the Messenger of Allah diagnosis and practices in accordance with his instructions will come to acknowledge their efficacy in swiftly healing the disease. Therefore, such a person will wholeheartedly submit to such a treatment. The Messenger of Allah conveyed his message to mankind with the greatest of affection and clarity without the slightest ambiguity. Those who accept the prescriptions advanced by Rasulullah will be cured and successful, while those who reject them will be encumbered with misfortune and failure. In other words, look, we have to change our track of mind into understanding and believing, having full yaqeen conviction, that solution for life's ultimate problems are in the very statements of Allah. The, the remedies uh, are in the very prescriptions of Allah and His Rasul. From all of this, this is what you've we, we've taken. You have to have that firm conviction, yaqeen in the heart, that whatever life's problems we go through, the solution is Allah's, in, in Allah's Quran and the Sunnah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We have to search it, we have to take it out, extract it, but it's there. Nonetheless, Muslims who have neglected the divine prescription despite their love for Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam have still been blessed. Right? Even though we don't follow, but we have love for Allah and Rasul, we still get something. Allah, um, 
The reason for them being blessed despite their negligence is their belief and love for Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. SubhanAllah. I remember, I think we did this yesterday. And it's very beautiful. Look at the prescription. I think we mentioned this. Remind me if we did that. A sahabi came to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said, When is Qiyamah? We mentioned this yesterday. It's very beautiful. Right? When is Qiyamah? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam redirected the question to what the actual question should have been. What did you prepare for it? So it's not about when you're going to die, when you're going to go. It's about how you went, how you lived. So what did you prepare for it? And look at the answer. This Havi wasn't anyone small also. Look at the answer. The response was amazing. Hubbullahi wa rasuli. Love of Allah and His Messenger. The Nabi said, You'll be with the one whom you love. Subhanallah. So love does have a big role. We should and we need to follow all the commands of Allah and the Sunnah of Rasulullah But it, obviously we have to make an endeavor to actually start learning, right? It's going to take some time. But if you started with that, and let's leave this gathering with this today. That you know what? I don't know all the instructions Allah has given me. I don't know every single facet of life, uh, what Nabi Sallallahu said in regards to this, what is the Sunnah. But I have hope to learn. I wish to learn. And I have love for Allah's Messenger. I have love for Allah Ta'ala and I have love for Allah's Messenger. And I know they give me the, these directions. I just don't know them. I just don't know them. But I'm willing to what? I'm willing to start my journey right now at this moment. To start learning inshallah. And like I said, we don't know. If Allah, if Allah grants us life from this difficulty, alhamdulillah. If Allah doesn't, alhamdulillah. Because we started the endeavor. We started the journey. A person, uh, a person said yesterday. He said that uh, you guys are, you know, doing all of this. What if nothing happens? I said, Alhamdulillah. I mean, I, I think nothing will happen, <laughs> really. But at least I can say, you know what? I put my life on track. So if nothing does happen, I'm not gonna leave this path in this way that I've adopted today or yesterday. You know what I'm saying? If I started to change my life today, I'm not, at least now I know how to bring my life on track for the akhirah. And I'm gonna continue this if my life comes right, everything is fine. I didn't, I didn't waste my time doing all this. Rather, now I have a direction in my life. Because death can come right... Say this, this whole thing goes away, right? And nothing happens. By next month, everything's back in order. Your death could be a month later. So that was your virus. <laughs> your death was to come anyway in the next month. So it's not about we're doing this uh, temporarily because of the plague. Or because of the virus. That's not the situation. It's, the, 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 Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, We give them the, the, the lesser of the punishment before the greater one so that they may return to us. They may turn back to us. Allah Ta'ala sometimes afflicts you with some of these things. So before the bigger punishment, Qiyamah comes, he, you're able to turn back to Him. That's why if it's like the angel coming and telling you, listen, your death is written in a week. What are you going to do now? You're going to forget your job. You're going to forget your study, everything. You're going to start aiming for your akhirah. You're going to say it's a ni'mah that Allah actually told me a week ahead of time. So that's, that's, that's the attitude we should have. If, if it is, something is written, alhamdulillah, I started preparing. If nothing is written, alhamdulillah, at least I got my life on track. So afterwards, I'll continue with this as well. You get it? Going back. So... Let's leave with this today, that ultimately, even though I may not fully have been following deen, at least from today, right now, at this point, let me leave with this gathering with the love of Allah and His Messenger. Let me have love for Allah and His Messenger. Inshallah, we'll all do that, inshallah. That much we should intend today. Anyhow, he continues, this blessing is what accounts for their deprivation of worldly success and prosperity as a warning for them to realize their error and reform their condition. Hence, the loss is in fact, actual fact, a blessing. Now those bereft of faith and love, namely the disbelievers, are granted some worldly latitude because of their misfortune of their evil. Therefore, they obtain temporary and superficial success and prosperity. But in the hereafter, they'll be deprived of all prosperity and goodness. Thus, a prosperity at the end of which is misfortune and calamity is not prosperity in reality. Look, you see a person living the life here. But he doesn't have faith. That that's not a see. Look, he's living the life, but when he dies and he sees the life over there, then we we'll, we we'll, we realize that this was not a life worth living. You get it? It was not a life worth living. So that's why whenever we look at our neighbors, we look at our colleagues, 
or we look at the guy and you know I'm mopping the floor and he's in he's sitting in the office, and we think, wow, man, he's gotten this and this and that. You should never do that. If you have faith in iman, if you have love for Allah and His Messenger, you're much higher than him. You're much way past him. You have true success. He has superficial success. So don't get uh, carried away by by the temporary success that he has. In addition, to, continuing, in addition to the future failure and adversity which will be their fate in the hereafter, they discern themselves to be without peace, tranquility, or enjoyment of life despite their possession of manifest worldly comforts and luxuries. We see that too. A lot of rich people or people who we think are successful, they end up killing themselves. <laughs> or they have so much problems when you go into their personal lives. About such temporary and mundane success coupled with failure in the hereafter, the Quran says, do they think that by consistently providing them with wealth and children, we are accelerating the real good things to them? The fact, however, is that they do not understand. Ayat Surah 30, 23, Ayat 55. This is a very beautiful ayat. So do you think that uh, by increasing them in wealth and children, in other words, worldly commodities, that they're successful? That's not success. Allah is saying this. Unfortunately, even people from our own areas, our desis or Muslims, that's what they take pride over. I have this many children. My children got these degrees. They're going to these universities. They get. They have those jobs. They take pride in those things. So some of our scholars, subhanAllah, we've learned, this is what you learn from sitting with the scholars. You, they, when they would meet us, when we would meet them, they wouldn't ask, mashallah, where you're studying, what are you doing, how much money you're making, what job do you have? They'd ask, how's your salat today? <laughs> how's your Quran tilaw? Did you read Quran today? MashaAllah, you know, your beard is growing, MashaAllah, you should make it grow. So it's, you never even think, of, wow, that, that, that was never even a question. <laughs> no one else would ask such a question. You understand? So this when, this is the sign of a believer. When you meet, when you sit with someone else, you ask them, Do, were you able to pray five times salat today? And if you didn't, you don't start taunting them, like, brother, inshallah, you know, if you didn't make your isha, make your isha, inshallah. You understand? So this is how our attitude should be. This is how our meetings should be. Right? Moreover, the Quran says also in Surah 9, verse 55, So let neither their wealth nor their children please you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, for Allah wills to torment them with these things in the life of the world, and their souls shall pass away while they are disbelievers. So utter failure. When you do have wealth and children, but it only comes to harm you. And we see that too, yes? A person is wealthy, but his wealth is only is like a curse for him. He has children, but the children are... You know, he's, his whole life is working for his children. We have that sometimes in our own families. Whole life parents are giving to their children, but the children might not even be a Muslim. The child might not even be a Muslim. Or the child doesn't want to have anything to do with his parents. So what kind of pride do you have then? Since it has been established beyond doubt that prosperity and success are confined to the prescriptions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, it is obligatory for our Muslim brothers who are informed of the disease but ignorant of the remedy to permanently abandon their neglect, ignorance, and indolence. It is incumbent upon them to utilize these divine and proven prescriptions so that they attain all forms of prosperity and success and abundance in both this world and the hereafter. While cognizant of the need to make the work easily comprehensible to the public, I have enumerated in this book certain laws which are simple to learn and practice, and presenting this to my brothers, in other words, the, the brothers and, and audience, so sisters also, the various parts are faith, Knowledge, prayer, zakah, Quran, morals, transactions, acquisition of the halal, abstention from extravagance, stories of the pious, supplication, and others. If you notice, they're all general subjects. General subjects that we actually have to remind ourselves. We have our own worldview, we have our own understanding, our own civilization, our own lifestyle. And this has to be a part of our daily life. So these 25 points, I want us, all of us to make a note of these 25 points. Take a note. Each day we do a chapter, take, that, take the chapter and maybe a Quran ayat or maybe a hadith and now tell yourself, let me try to implement this in my life now. Let me go back home and discuss it with my family. Let me go to my college and discuss it with my colleagues. Let me go to work, um, my, my, my classmates. Let me go to work and discuss with my colleagues. You understand? So you, you create that environment in your homes, in your workplaces, in your businesses, in your schools. So you become a, a, a model of deen, you become a, a avenue, a center, right? It's not just you. You shouldn't be greedy and keep this to yourself. You become the, the, the magnet, the attraction. And a person knows that when I sit with him, I'm going to get some deen. When I sit with him, I'm not going to leave until I get some deen from him. 
That's who you should be. That's what you should represent. Sahaba were like that. They knew wherever Sahaba went, wherever Sahaba went, they, the Hidayat spread that way. They went for business, but they went with deen. You understand? Looking at the nature of the peculiarity of the book, I've named it Hayatul Muslimin, uh, the life of the Muslims. I've described the various parts as principles. Arwah, literally meaning spirits, because these, this is what spiritually and uh, you know uh, revs the engine. Basically, now you start uh, your spiritual. Uh, if you want to, when you start your spiritual journey, each of these spirits now guide you into uh, making your life, which are in fact the foundations of existence or life. Meaning, the foundations of existence and life of a Muslim are based on these arwah, ruh, these spirits. Notice the connection between the the chapters and the objective of the book a variety of effects and impressions ensue from these principles for Muslims Allah is the dispenser of guidance and in his power is protection and assistance he wrote this work in Jumad al-Ukhra 1346 right now it's 1441 that's over a hundred years ago almost almost hundred years ago 96 right yeah 95 years ago so Allah give us tawfiq inshallah we will continue if there's any questions we can take them and uh, inshallah, what we will do here now, inshallah, we will pray our Isha Salah. After that, we will do some dhikr. So this is something that uh, everyone will do on their own. Uh, this is also the audience who are listening. You should also make it a habit every day. Take out some time to recite the Quran. Take out some time to make dhikr. The preferable dhikr is subhanallah hundred times. Alhamdulillah hundred times. La ilaha illallah hundred times. Allahu Akbar hundred times. Astaghfirullah hundred times and Durud uh, Sharif, which is Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the shortest one, a hundred times. It only takes about 15 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And every day, maybe half an hour to one hour recitation of the Quran. This will increase the 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 ruh. The ruh will increase and strengthen in its spirituality, in its dindari, inshallah. So we should make an effort that every single day we do this. Uh, and Allah give us tawfiq, inshallah. If there's any questions. Okay. So we'll close, inshallah. Any questions from you guys here? Yeah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes,